You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. We've got a lot to discuss here in the world of agriculture. We've got data out this morning from Uncle Sam. Inflation is still with us. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst with Bar Chart, will help us digest this data here in just a moment. Before, in segment two, we're going to talk with Kent Backus, the executive director of government affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. They've had time to reflect after their convention in New Orleans, and those policy discussions are now moving to Washington, D.C. In segment three, we're going to turn our focus to the South, the cotton crop in this next year. Dr. Jody Campici, the vice president of economics and policy at the National Cotton Council, will join us. They've recently completed their outlook and acreage expectations for this next year. We're going to hear what to expect here on the nation's cotton crop. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's take a look at these markets. And Darren, a lot of the trade was watching for information on inflation this morning, and it sounds like it's still with us. Yeah, it, it certainly is, Mike. And I mean, let's let's be honest, it's just a set of government numbers and we all know what that's worth. But we did see inflation is still with us. I think everyone was anticipating that it wasn't going to go away automatically. But what this does tell us is, you know, what we already knew. I mean, this is something we already knew. We're going to continue to see small interest rate hikes over the course of 2023. That's It's, it's no surprise to anybody. Uh, the dollar was under pressure overnight. It's kind of cut its loss here through the early part of Tuesday morning. Uh, does it really have much of an effect right now on uh, on grains and other ag markets? No. Uh, maybe you can make a case for the livestock, but um, uh, you know we're, we're still seeing incredibly strong moves there. But by and large, I don't see this having a huge impact. I think it's still more weather related uh, when it comes to you know, it comes corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, and so on. Those are still going to be driven by weather and less about uh, CPIs and, and uh, U.S. dollar. Darren, that's certainly true on the grain side, but you mentioned the co- the currencies there. And of course, we mm-hmm. see the value of the dollar definitely impacted by what the Fed does. Can you walk us through the, the market's reasoning for the weakness in the dollar today? Yeah, you know, we've probably, I mean, the biggest thing is, is that we've, we've seen theoretically or likely we have seen the peak of inflation. And in other words, in other words, the big moves, it's not like we've all of a sudden going to see inflation go away. Um, but the, you know, the big, huge monthly changes and year to year changes, I think have come and gone. And so we've got a long-term downtrend going in the dollar. And, you know, what that means is that there's other global currencies, most notably the Euro that's starting to attract attention. We're seeing more money going off over there, but you know, and those are on the long-term chart. So if, long-term monthly. So if we trim it back and just look at the weeklies, then we've got the dollar a little bit oversold. So we've got some money coming in intermediate term. It doesn't change the long-term trend, but we could see some buying come in, you know, over the next few months and turn that trend just ever so slightly and then go back lower again as we make our way through 23. Pretty standard. Again, basically, it was looking ahead. The, the dollar was looking ahead. Investors saw that there was an opportunity. They ran the market up. It came, you know, it topped out. Now it's going back down and they're moving their money elsewhere. All right. That certainly helps uh, put it into a little clarity. Darren, I'm looking at the markets today. And the other one that really seems to be moving as the trade got underway is crude oil. We're off $1.15, in some of the deferred month contracts. What's happening in the crude oil space today? The biggest thing was some news that came out late yesterday, if I recall, it was late yesterday, and that is there is a Congress mandated release from the SPR. This one's about 26 million barrels. Department of Energy didn't necessarily want to do it because of how how many releases there have already been, how tight the supplies are actually getting. Biden administration said we're going to stick with the mandate, and they did. Uh, That's what was announced. And so, you know, the overreaction of the market is to immediately sell off. Does this change anything? No, not absolutely not at all, because Again, this is something that the market has known about. Uh, it's nothing new. Again, this has happened in years past that we see this sort of release. But we do have some pressure on the market. Now, the bigger picture is Russia is still talking about 
you know, trimming its production. I don't think that's going to happen. Chinese demand is expected to go up because of their opening. I think that's also going to see some hiccups over 2023. So the situation really hasn't changed. We have this immediate reaction uh, to the market, uh, to the announcement. Uh, but again, it's nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unusual. What does strike me, though, is the Department of Energy is now saying that its downside target to, you know, to, re to refill is at $70. To me, that is a bit of an overshoot. Uh, if we go back to the December low of 71.10, that actually completed the long-term downtrend on the monthly chart. And it may be difficult to take it out. And particularly if we do spike below it to hold there any time at all. Especially if the Fed steps in as a big buyer on a move to the downside. Darren, I want to bring our focus over to the grain market. Specifically, I want to look at the corn crop. The market mm -hmm. is starting to wonder about those acres for that second crop, Brazilian safrina corn. Are we starting to see anything play out in the markets? Yeah, we've been seeing it for a number of months. Uh, and it's just, you know, some of the chatter starting to catch up. You know, if we go back to January 12th, we saw the May July future spread take out its previous high of seven and three quarter cent inverse. That alone was incredibly bullish. And now overnight, we saw that push out to almost 14 cents. There is a growing concern from the commercial side that, you know, we, we're going to have a very tight supply and demand situation. We already have a tight supply and demand situation here in the U.S. And it's only going to tighten if if we start to see some export demand. So far, that's not happening. But it tells us that you know, we still have strong feed demand. We've got a lot of cattle to continue to feed. We're going, we could possibly have ethanol demand again as we move into the spring and summer driving season. I don't really care what USDA said in the latest WASDA report. I still think we're going to see uh, solid ethanol demand. So I, th I think we're going to really stress the amount of, uh, the amount of corn supplies that we have. Basis is telling us that as well. Uh, so I don't see that situation changing all that much. So that's on the old crop side. Darren, is that kind of squeeze going to give some marketing opportunity on the new crop? Well, it certainly means that, you know, as we tighten up the old crop available stocks to use, it's certainly going to reduce the buffer that we have for new crop. And though, you know, while we, while it looks like we're going to have more acres, you know, the, the no bean decent corn spread for what that's worth has certainly been favoring decent corn since last September. Uh, you know, we, we should see more corn acres, but will it be enough to ad adequately rebuild supplies? Again, you look at those new crop corn spreads, certainly not indicating that the market's that comfortable. No, that's true, Darren. Over on the soybean side, we've got, oh, well, beans are down a little bit today. Mixed trade, I guess, between old and new crop. What are you watching here as this Brazilian crop moves towards market? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing that we see here, again, long-term fundamentally bullish uh, for what, you know, so, so we have that in our back pocket. We saw both soybean and soybean meal contracts hit hit new highs, some in contract highs in the, beal, uh, in the bean meal market, some just nearby highs uh, in the soybeans. And, you know, they couldn't really hold it Monday. They backed off. They, they ran out of buying a little bit of a vacuum developed. So some follow through selling uh, overnight through early Tuesday morning, not a huge surprise. Most of this is coming from fund traders. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the commercial step in and start selling this thing yet. So there's still a great deal of concern, you know, about overall supplies globally and uh, the world's largest buyer still coming to the U.S., given how slow the, the harvest is in Brazil. There's so much to keep an eye on here as we get through the next several weeks in the grain markets. Folks, we've been speaking with Darren Newsom. He's a senior market analyst with Bar Chart Rights at DarrenNewsom.com. Darren, always appreciate you joining us. Thanks for your, uh, your expertise today. I uh, really appreciate you having me on again, Mike. Well, folks, stick with us. When AOA returns, we're going to be talking with our friends from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ken Bankus will be joining us. Stay here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. 
I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA is continuing here today and just a few days ago, well, 10 days ago, I suppose, thousands of participants in the cattle industry gathered in New Orleans for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Annual Cattle Con, the big cattle convention. Now we've had a little bit of time to unpack some of the conversations uh, from that event. And joining us on the show is Kent Backus. He's the Executive Director of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here as always. Let's say you had a lot of conversations with producers down there in New Orleans. Kent, what were some of the key takeaways after this year's convention? Well, I think, you know, people were just happy to be together. We, you know, New Orleans is always a fun place to be, but as far as our meetings go, you you had a lot to talk about about what uh, NCBA is doing and about what how we're working with our affiliates. Uh, on the policy side, we had a lot of questions about kind of the future of this new Congress, talking about the makeup there. You've got, you know, the Republicans in, in control of the House. Does that mean we're going to get a farm bill done? Does it mean we're going to be able to do a lot of these other things? But, <clears throat> you know, we also took this opportunity <clears throat> to talk a lot about, you know, some of the key issues that are uh, facing us. You know, we have this traceability uh, rule that uh, has, has been introduced. And so we're going to be providing comments on that. That's going to be an issue that's uh, near and dear to the hearts of many of our producers wanting to know, you know, what we can do uh, to make sure that the industry directs us in a way that kind of builds off of a lot of things we already have. So you had a lot of, a lot of very important conversations that were there. And for the thousands of, of uh, industry participants who were there, I think they definitely saw a good return on investment. It was <clears throat> time well spent, and it was just a good opportunity to learn more about what's going on out in the countryside and in Washington. 
Absolutely, Ken. And one of the things that that struck me, and I just I kept telling this to folks as we were walking around New Orleans, was the attitude of the producers who were there. There's optimism in this cattle industry here in 2023 as they look out to the future. As they reflect back on 2022, Kent. We got reasons for that optimism. Consumer demand, both domestically and internationally, was stellar in 2022, wasn't it? Was that something that came up uh, in your conversations? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I think I think producers were were excited to hear the fact that, you know, uh, with a weather forecast, it looks like, you know, we could see an end to La Nina this year that we could see grass growing again, which means that we're going to see, you know, better, uh, you know, better returns and more herd growth. But you also saw, uh, you know, forecasts for really good cattle prices going forward. So yeah, producers are happy for us, you know, on the, on the export side too, you know, 2022 was a banner year. We just got our end of the year numbers back and we set a new record and keep in mind 2021, you know, we set a, we set a really strong record of 10.6 billion in, in global sales. Well, we beat that by another billion in 2022. We, we hit it with 11.68 billion in sales, which is just enormous. Uh, you know, I think before people start to discount that, like for inflation or for other things, you got to look at the growth that we saw overall uh, all through Asia, you know, Korea was a $2.7 billion market for us. China and Hong Kong together was $2.5 billion. Japan, $2.3 billion. I mean, you're just seeing all of this strong demand all across Asia. Uh, and then, you know, steady growth here in North America as well. Uh, this was a great time for us. It was a great year for us. And those exports alone account for, you know, close to $450 per head. You know, that's not lost on anyone, especially as we've had tight margins, you know, over the last few years. So we want to see that continue to grow. I think, you know, the reality is, is as we enter into 2023, we have tighter supplies. Uh, we may see those sales dip a little bit, but it's not because of a drop in, in foreign demand. It's because we're going to have limited supply, which means that we could see an even higher return on those values. So, you know, overall, I think we're very excited about you know, what lies ahead of us on the export side uh, for imports. <clears throat> it was another strong year for imports. And, and keep in mind for everybody out there, when we're importing beef, we're importing lean beef trimmings to mix with our fattier trimmings. Uh, we saw that, you know, uh, we saw that as a strong demand for uh, for ground beef. Uh, so I think we're going to continue to see that uh, that grow a little bit. But, uh, you know, overall, we are net exporters. We had a great year. We're still dominating the the U.S. market. We're dominating a lot of these these overseas markets, and it's a very positive sign for U.S. beef globally. It is, Kent. That is certainly true. And I want to talk briefly about well the international trade situation. You mentioned how bright it looks here for the beef sector in the United States, but as we think about some of our immediate neighbors, we've got some trade disputes brewing, Kent, that I think are going to impact. Well, a lot of the ag industry, and I'm thinking notably Mexico. I understand they've made some modifications to their GMO rule, but is this something NCBA is keeping an eye on? Well, we're we're certainly watching this closely, and you know, just keep in mind you know, for everybody out there that you know the president of Mexico is 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 it's, it's almost like their Bernie Sanders equivalent down there. Whenever you you get into some of these very uh, you know progressive, somewhat socialist agendas that that come up. And you know they're trying to uh, they're trying to put greater restrictions on imports, trying to put greater restrictions on trade. They're taking a very EU mindset on a lot of things, and especially when it comes to science and their standards. So this whole issue with GMO corn uh, is definitely something we're paying very close attention to, uh, because you know as, as part of a North American you know, very integrated uh, supply chain, this could be very damaging. But the uh, the update coming out overnight was that that January first, twenty twenty four implementation date is it, they're saying it's been it's been dispensed with. I I see that as it's being delayed. It's almost like they've hit snooze on this because they're still committed to having an elimination of uh, of GMOs and and of glyphosate and other things like that. So I think we got to be very careful how we approach this. Um, you know, we're also concerned because. Uh, this is part, you know, Mexico's part of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And, you know, our government's been very clear that we're going to abide by these science-based terms. And any deviation from that will result in retaliation. And so uh, I think you know, that's very concerning that Mexico could have this self-inflicted wound 
that could affect the entire North American economy. So we're we're obviously watching this very closely, but it also sets a very bad precedent too to have these subjective terms become the determining factor in market access, uh, especially in something as tried and true as the North American market. Uh, I think it's just a very dangerous precedent because they could be restricting imports of, of corn. Uh, they could also easily restrict imports of meat uh, from animals that were fed that corn. So with that, without a, a true scientific justification uh, and objective standard in place, this becomes a very, very slippery slope. And I think that's something that all of agriculture should really pay attention to. I think you're exactly right. And it's been good to hear the ag industry come together to encourage Mexico to explain the rationale behind some of their thinking, even though those explanations have not been very forthcoming so far. Uh, Kent, while we've got you on the line, of course, policy discussions, no doubt, were top of mind for producers as this is a farm bill year. Was there anything new or, or uh, particularly powerful that came out at convention on the farm bill front? Um, you know, I think... You know, for us and kind of keeping this trade focused, uh, you know, the big concern has been the, the growing threat of foot and mouth disease and what that means for our industry. Uh, I think the United States government's done a really good job of trying to get a step ahead of everyone else and and trying to, you know, get the vaccine banks established to get, uh, you know, our plans in place. That, and the unfortunate event that we have an FMD outbreak that we're able to, to handle this closely. Uh, Canada and Mexico were also there. They joined us uh, for a trilateral meeting. We were able to have producer to producer uh, engagement on this. And we have a unified position where we want to see our governments, you know, establish uh, individual national vaccine banks so that we can address this, but also coordinate efforts uh, so that we can have continuity and trade and recover much faster. Yeah, I think, you know, just seeing foreign animal diseases, whether it's foot and mouth disease, lumpy skin disease, seeing these emerge globally and getting closer and closer to our doorstep. I think that's something we keep in mind. Now, how that relates to the farm bill is that, you know, this is going to be a priority for us in the farm bills, making sure that we have these, uh, you know, full funding for these vaccine banks and that we have all the preparedness efforts uh, in place. I know that, you know, we're, we're uh, going to have to tighten the budget. We're going to have to deal with a lot of these other issues, but this is one of those situations where you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, it, and the economic uh, devastation that would come from this uh, would be it would be astronomical. So we we have to be very very uh, uh, diligent in making sure that we are prepared to address these issues and and have a way to recover. And so that's going to be a priority for us going into this farm bill. Well, folks, those discussions will be ramping up. If you want to make your voice heard, if you're in the cattle industry, get involved with NCBA. You can learn more about them at ncba.org. We've been speaking with Kent Backus. He's the Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Kent, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. And folks, stick with us. When AOA returns, we're going to talk cotton with Dr. Jody Campici of the National Cotton Council. Stick around for more AOA after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. You can get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I will be broadcasting AOA live from the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday. That's at the National Farm Machinery Show, Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Watching a few different items here in the market trade on the day Tuesday on the inflation and economy side. The consumer price index rose 0.5% month on month in January, beating analyst expectations of 0.4%. The December number was also revised to uh, 0.1% higher month on month inflation versus the negative 0.1% originally reported. Headline number put inflation at 6.4% year on year, beating analyst expectations of 6.2%, but down from 6.5% the previous month. Now, the core CPI that excludes food and energy rose 0.4% month on month, beating analyst expectations of 0.3%. So we're watching what's happening on Wall Street here today and how that impacts money flow into commodities. Soybeans under a little pressure with quarter wheat mixed here around unchanged as we work through the session. We did get news from Mexico as they have blinked first on their intention to ban GMO corn. Mexico's economy department issuing a new decree Monday, dropping any date for substituting imports of GMO feed corn. The new decree says that authorities will implement a gradual substitution of GMO feed and milled corn, but sets no date for doing so. Now, also with the news from Mexico, they will ban the import of GMO seed to protect their native varieties, and they're also prohibiting the use of GMO corn for direct human consumption, which Mexico says mainly includes fresh white corn and white corn tortilla flour. So watching how that impacts the corn market here today. Also got news that potentially seeing some African swine fever outbreaks in Hong Kong. How will that impact the hog market here today? We are seeing some upward momentum here in deferred hogs. February hogs goes off the board here today, staying pretty close with that cash index. Meantime, in the cattle trade, we are mixed to slightly lower here as we're trying to search for follow-through fundamental support after a good day on Monday. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, this winter season is the time the farmers are planning ahead for this next year, trying to get a handle on how this industry is going to look and make those decisions for their operations that are going to keep them around and keep them relevant on into this next year. Cotton producers are doing that exact same thing earlier this week, or excuse me, late last week, we did see the National Cotton Council get together for their annual meeting and released some outlooks, taking a look at the economic factors shaping the cotton industry. Joining us today to get into some of the details is Dr. Jody Campici. She serves as the Vice President of Economics and Policy there at the National Cotton Council. And Jody, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to talk first about 2022 for cotton producers across the United States. It was a tough year for your growers, particularly in the Southern Plains, wasn't it? Yes, it was It was a very tough year for growers in, in the Southwest region, particularly uh, in Texas and then across Oklahoma as well. So we had a record level of abandoned acres in 2022 due to the extreme drought conditions. Um, and it severely reduced overall production uh, for 2022. Jody, heading into 2022, this last crop season, what were acreage expectations ahead of that drought? So ahead of the drought, and, and when we did the survey last year, actually the, the acreage expectations were a little bit lower than what actually occurred. 
and we we actually saw a pretty big price increase between when we did the survey last year and then when producers actually made their planning their final planning decisions in the spring. So again, pr- higher prices drove part of that increase in acreage. So the acreage was there, the acreage was planted. Uh, to, again, acreage just wasn't harvested. We didn't expect that level of abandonment for 2022. I would imagine as the uh, the heat stayed on all summer, as that cotton crop started to dwindle, that cotton prices likely surged in 2022. Jody, was that the case? Yes. So prices increased a lot uh, getting into the summer. Uh, the summertime, uh, we had prices getting up at the highest level in in over a decade. Now, by the end of the year, they came back down. But but again, a lot of growers were able to you know, price some of their cotton ahead of time at at those higher prices. So so that was good. But again, a lot of growers didn't actually have a lot of cotton that was harvested. So it was kind of a catch-22. A lot of them didn't get to take advantage of those higher prices because they didn't make the crop. Right. And so many folks, and when that happens, they're left watching from the sidelines. You don't have any crops to market into a rising environment. And Jody, that feeling can stick with producers, particularly as they get into this next year. I'm wondering, after the volatility of 2022 for 2023, what are producers expected to do for acreage? So based on our planning intention survey, Growers intend to plant about 17% less cotton acreage across the U.S. as compared to last year. And there's several factors that play into that, but one of the main ones is that when you look at where cotton prices are now and where they were in the survey period, compared to the prices of competing commodities, cotton prices are about 20% lower, while prices of other commodities, corn, soybeans, sorghum, wheat, they really haven't changed much since last year. So you're seeing these prices holding up while cotton prices decline, and we're still seeing high production costs. So we've seen the prices of some inputs like fertilizer come down a bit since last year, but they're still very high compared to, you know, before we had that run-up in prices. They're still really high. So growers are finding that, you know, maybe cotton isn't going to pencil out as well as some of the other crops this year. All right. Well, that certainly makes sense. And of course, they're getting their seeds bought. And as you take a step back, Jody, from this, well, this upcoming growing season and look more at the demand picture around the world, how does it, how does that picture look? So what we, what we're seeing for 2023 is we're seeing a bit more optimism on the demand side than we had in 2022. And we just, we had a lot of things going on in 2022. And, and some of that was very high inflation. So consumers were less able to spend money on things like clothing and apparel and textile products because they had to spend money, more money on necessities like food, fuel, uh, housing. So we also had, you know, the largest cotton consuming country, China, was closed down for part of the year due to COVID-19 shutdowns, which, you know, they're the main country that had that happen in 2022. So that severely reduced consumption as well. And then, you know, during the summer when cotton prices were as high as they were, well, that makes uh, yarn prices, be you know, they're high as well. So it just basically cuts into the uh, profit margins of spinning mills. So the demand for cotton went down. Now into 2023, if you look at the growth forecasts, for the U.S. and global economies, in- growth is expected for the next two years, but it is lower than occurred in the last few years. However, we know that inflation is slowing down, and by the end of the year, inflation is supposed to have a bigger reduction. So we do think that there will be some rebound. It's not going to rebound back to where it was you know, in 2021, but we do think that demand is coming back, and it will come back. It's just the economy has to kind of get back in in, in a better condition again. Absolutely. We've got a lot of things still going through their adjustment cycle following COVID and drought and everything else that has shook our industry over the past three years. Jody, I'm curious if we can look out a little bit longer term, maybe do a little brainstorming. One of the things I've noticed when it comes to clothing in particular is the proliferation of spandex and polyester and the, the fibers made from crude oil. And I'm wondering if this push towards using more natural things, being more sustainable, is this going to help more products incorporate more cotton rather than using some of these uh, crude oil-based fibers long-term? Is that a trend the industry's watching? Yes, absolutely. And and we do think that will occur. And, and I think, you know, with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol that we put in place uh, 
a few years ago, and it just keeps expanding. That's one way that U.S. cotton growers can show brands and retailers that our products are sustainable and we can prove that they are. And again, I think there is a push to include more, you know, sustainable natural products. And I think that definitely is a plus for the cotton industry. Absolutely. Now, as you think uh, around the world, of course, American production, Jody, you mentioned coming down based on that acreage intention survey. Looking around the world, did those high prices in 2022 incentivize cotton production elsewhere and other places that American producers need to be alert to? You know, I think right now, as we're looking into 23, the prices came down pretty much, not just in the U.S., but cotton prices have came down a bit from other in other countries as well. But I do think overall production in other countries will be, and it depends on the country, but a little bit higher than last year because I do think that even though prices are lower than they were last year, the world price is still higher relative to probably the last three or four years. So cotton still makes sense for for a lot of growers in a lot of countries. So overall, world production is is expected to be up a little bit in in 2023. However, U.S. cotton does have an advantage over some countries because it is higher quality. And that always, you know, is a plus for U.S. cotton. So even if world production is up, if the supply of high-quality cotton isn't up by a significant amount, then that definitely helps U.S. cotton as well. That certainly makes sense, Jody. And U.S. cotton, so much of our crop is exported out into other countries around the world. On the on the global geopolitical stage, are there any concerns you have about large trading partners for cotton maybe getting into a tiff with the U.S. or perhaps seeing other trading issues develop over this next year? Uh, yes, absolutely. So China always kind of remains a concern regarding trading issues and in particular, right now, what we're watching is, so in, at the end of 2021, Congress passed the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act, Prevention Act. And so that act basically is related to f- the production of cotton products in the China's Xinjiang region using forced labor. So what's happened is U.S. Customs and Border Protection is, is watching products coming into the U.S. to make sure that they're not coming from those areas where forced labor could have been used. So it it, it could uh, continue to provide some more tensions between the U.S. and China if if more of those products are are seized before they are able to come into the U.S. could mean that China might decide that they don't want to purchase as much U.S. cotton. Right now, it's really the data. We don't have enough data yet to show. We do know that, I say that, but we do know that U.S. imports from China as compared to other countries has actually the share from China has declined in the last few years. And initially that happened back in, started happening back in 2017, 2018 due to the U.S.-China trade war. And then the years following that, China imported more U.S. cotton. So that's, that's always a, a, a factor that, that we have to watch out for. That's such a good point. That international trade, those those rules are always changing in that game. Jody, before we let you go, thinking ahead to the farm bill, is there anything that cotton producers really would like to see changed in this next piece of legislation? So one thing, I think they just want to continue to to improve cotton safety net. And what we've seen in the last few years with these high production costs is that, you know, maybe the, the current safety net needs to, needs to be enhanced a little bit to account for the increased costs that growers are having to face. So we're just looking at options that could maybe can maybe help with that. And then other things, you know, just maybe enhance the, the crop insurance side of things. And we know that our growers, cotton growers, rely very heavily on, on crop insurance to, to help, in, in particularly last year when uh, we had the large abandonment. Absolutely. When we get a large-scale natural disaster like that, that crop insurance certainly helps a lot of folks and provides a lot of confidence to lenders as well, keeping this whole industry solvent. Folks, we've been talking with Dr. Jody Campici. She's the Vice President of Economics and Policy with the National Cotton Council. Dr. Campici, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stay with us. We'll be back with a little more AOA from the Fargo Dome here at the Northern Corn Soy Expo when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply, to learn about how farmers can manage their winter fuel storage today to make sure they're prepared for spring planting. Charlie, why should producers be checking their fuel storage now? Why not closer to planting? Yeah, Mike, thanks. It's imperative that that our producers are checking their storage before it's time to get in the field rather than being delayed by potential downtime if they run into a, a quality issue within their fuel tank. It can take time to clean up or fix these issues that is, are found in your fuel storage. So really starting now gives them that clearance to resolve these issues without that added time crunch. Oftentimes a fuel sample is needed to really understand the extent of your fuel quality issue. And if you have a fuel quality issue present, it can take up to a couple weeks to get those results on top of any necessary steps needed to remedy that issue. Charlie, what's the best course of action after I find water in the tank or perhaps some other contamination? Yeah, so really, depending on your local regulations, as well as your tank configuration, you may be able to drain that excess water easily through a bung on the bottom of your tank, but making sure you're taking careful consideration to avoid a spill of fuel once that water is drained. Uh, there are also other products such as advanced tank filters like an aquafighter that could be installed to absorb that excess water for safe removal. Uh, and really after that, if either of those options don't address your issues or if microbial growth has been detected, more stringent actions are necessary such as a potential biocide additive or professional tank cleaning, which can be costly and time consuming. Folks, that's Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply. Charlie, thanks for joining us. And folks, thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues, and I'm excited to say, folks, I'm up in Fargo, North Dakota today. I'm at the Fargo Dome for the 7th Northern Corn Soy Expo. Joining us for this next segment is Chris Brossert. He is the chair of the North Dakota Soybean Council. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, I tell you, seven, seven different events you've had up here for the Northern Corn Soy Expo. Chris, what's the reason for doing this event here on, on Valentine's well, Day? Well, generally, we'd like to say it's uh, so we could have a blizzard but you know so <laughs> but really really just to get the word out uh you know inform everybody uh get get people off the farm um you know take 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 a look at what's relevant within the industry um direction for the industry uh you know both corn soybeans and agriculture in general so you know what what we can what we can do not only for today but for the future um of the industry in the state that's what it's all about and chris as we think about what's happening in north dakota from an agricultural perspective and i want to talk soybeans first since that's the side you're here representing there's some processing capacity coming to this state isn't there on the soybean front yes absolutely mike so it's a you know a very exciting time uh you know within the state uh, within the industry uh, we're going to see a lot of changes here in the next uh you know two three four five ten years not only you know for for ourselves as farmers but for uh the next generation to come chris for folks outside north dakota what what is coming to this state in terms of soybean processing some big expansions yes yes so uh we we went from uh, a year ago to not having any uh crush plants here within the state to having three announced so um if we look at that uh you know if uh, those three, when those three plants come online, um, what I'd tell you just off top memory is each plant you could say will roughly um, process uh, around 50 million bushels of soybeans. So uh, those three plants would potentially use all of the soybeans within this state. So, you know, I mean, granted, there's there's a couple of them right on the border. You know, we'll be, you know, there's going to be some beans probably out of Canada, some out of Minnesota, some sure. of South Dakota, you know, that, you know, so we're not going to use everything within the state, right? But that's a huge, huge change. And we, we think about that. Uh, almost 100% of our, our soybeans are shipped out to the Pacific Northwest today. So we look at the shift that that's going to take. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that go along with that. You know, the, the livestock industry here within the state, you know, we, we want to look at uh, things that we can do to help that uh, indus- industry invo- evolve and uh, and come along. Um, you know, we're going to have a lot of, you know, um, crush here. We're going to have a lot of meal. You think about the the oil, um, where are we going to, you know, be shipping that, uh, biofuels, you know, all there's just a lot of excitement here. There is a lot of excitement. And Chris, I mean, the North Dakota soybean story has been incredible. The production growth that's developed up here, as you talk to other soybean growers around the state, are they prepared to keep putting some more acres in the ground to feed those processing plants? Yes, yes, they sure are, Mike. You know, and, uh, you know, I think we have a lot of potential out uh, to the West. Uh, you know, uh, an example I could use is, is myself. Uh, 20 years ago, I came back home to farm. Uh, you know, in our area, we raised uh, zero acres of soybeans. You're kind of in the middle of yep. North Dakota, right? right? Yep. North central North Dakota. We're about 30 miles off of the Canadian border. So ge- geographical center in North America, rugby. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm from Wolford, but we're 25 miles away. And, uh, you know, we look at that and, and I look at uh, what we've done at and on our farm is we went from zero acres to 50% of our acres are now soybeans. So, you know, we're going to keep that, uh, you know, in a rotation, you know, with wheat, barley, corn. Um, we do raise a little bit of canola as well, but uh, you know there's there is such a huge potential to the west uh, where soybeans are a good fit. They're good for you know the soil. Um, you know they're they're you know good good profitability. Um, and I think as we you know varieties continue to develop drought tolerance and those kind of things, um, there's just uh, huge potential uh, to the west. Okay, it's going to be interesting to watch this industry continue to mature in North Dakota. Chris, I, I want to turn the focus to something different. I understand this year you are serving as the chair of the Soy Trans. Transportation Coalition. Is that right? Yes, yes, uh, Mike. I was fortunate enough to be elected to that position uh, in November um, or December, I guess, at our annual meeting. So, all right. So, uh, in December, you yes. moved into that role. So, all of 2022, we had rail disruptions, we had barge, you know, all the troubles. I was on the phone with Mike <laughs> Steenhook from the STC almost every day. Hopefully, it's going to look a little more smoothly this year. Well, that that's the hope. You know, we can always hope that, uh, you know, uh, Mother Nature will cooperate, right? The good Lord is going to give us a little rain, you know, a little extra rain. Uh, and, and it looks like, you know, those things are coming with the snow load and stuff. Uh, the river levels are starting to come back up. But, you know, not, uh, I mean... 
being from North Dakota, you know, and, and uh, it's an honor to serve on, on the STC uh, with Mike. Uh, he's always very, very knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, one thing I found very interesting is just, uh, you know, we don't think about uh, the barge traffic, right? I mean, we see it, we, we hear about it, we know kind of what it is. But, you know, they don't have storage facilities, a lot of those farmers there. Everything goes right right to the river and they ship it right down the river so you know a lot of those guys are you know they're talking about harvesting their their crop and they're like hey you know it's uh they're looking at a you know a plus a dollar right for a basis and they're going oh this is this is crazy it's unheard of and we're like yeah well, that's kind of normal right it hasn't been normal for us the last couple of years has been more of a you know minus 30 to minus 50 right. but but uh they're used to a positive you know a, a plus 10 or a minus 10 you know and and what i thought was really interesting um uh, and, and looking at and learning is, I don't remember the exact number, but it's something like for every, uh, one foot, uh, level depth on the river, you can load like five, I think it was like 5,000 bushels less if I remember right of soybeans on a barge. Well, you start thinking about that. A barge is, you know, let's say in general, 50,000 bushels. Yeah. Well, the, the, the river was down three feet. It's 15,000 less bushels. They can't get their crop loaded. They can't get it out. You know, they're worried about, you know, things spoiling, you know, and we're sitting there going, well, why don't you just put it in your grain bins? You know, whatever, but, but, you know, they, they, they don't have a reason for it. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's not that often that they have those disruptions. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of good work there. Um, that we do not only, you know, on, on, uh, you know, dredging, you know, the Mississippi river, um, that we, we were able to help with, uh, we're looking at, you know, um, being able to do some things out on, uh, the West coast, Pacific Northwest, uh, with some different yes. rail there and, and, uh, um, looking at uh, how we can, we can help with, uh, you know, what, what, what can we do to help the process become more efficient of loading and unloading meal? So yeah. you know, that's going to be a big thing, not only for North Dakota, but, you know, all the Midwest here, right? So, you know, we're, we're always looking at those things. There's always bridges, uh, roads, you know, uh, Mike is always, uh, you know, kind of, he's just abreast, you know, um, and up to, up to par on everything that's uh, coming down the pipeline there. That's true. He's got his fingers in everything, folks. We have been talking with Chris Brosser. He is the chair of the North Dakota Soybean Council, currently serving as chair of the Soybean Transportation Coalition. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. I will be on the road, but Mike Adams, former host, will be filling in. So do be sure to tune in. He'll be having some great conversations. I'll be back on Thursday from the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. We'll see you then, folks. Have a great day. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Each season, farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.